They say the church is closed. I say the church has never been more alive. The church has never been about a building. It's always been about people pursuing God and loving people. We're not in a crisis. We're walking through the crisis because God is with us. I will fear no evil. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We are the church built on the foundation of Jesus as our cornerstone. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We are the church, anchored in hope, grounded on the rock, Jesus Christ. We will not be shaken, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. In challenging times, we don't shrink back, we rise up. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We don't know the future, but we know the one who does. And we are his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So church, it's time to get ready. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We're not going back to normal. We were never made for normal. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys this morning. Who's happy to be in church, live and in person? And hey, we also recognize that there's many of you that are watching online at home that maybe for whatever reason you couldn't make it, you don't feel comfortable yet coming to church in person. And there's many of you that during this crazy season that you begin to join us for our services online. We just wanna welcome you. We're so glad that you're joining us online. Whether you're here in person or not, we believe that God has something for you today. Also, hey, we wanna give a big shout out to our church in Eureka, our church family in Eureka. Come on, can you give it up for our church family in Eureka? Love you guys so much. Can't wait to be with you later at our Hope Team Night. Hope to see you there. And also our Hope City Church downtown uh, is joining us as well. We're so glad that you're with us. It is so good to worship Jesus in person. And uh, I've been so excited just to get back to what feels like a little bit of normal. Yet in the middle of that, I don't know about you, but there's a part of me that doesn't know if I really wanna go back to normal life. And then the question becomes like, what, what even is normal? And what is normal life? Because like I, I brought to you last week, and for those of you in Eureka, I know the storms kind of knocked out. You didn't get to see that first message in this new message series that we started called Normal 2.0. I, I wanna encourage you to go back, if you missed it, even if you're here this morning, to go back and watch that message because I believe that God is doing something new in the earth today in the middle of all this craziness. And um, he, he, I believe he did not cause this virus, but he uses it. He uses it, and I believe that there are some divine disruptions 
that God allows things to happen in our life to get our attention, to wake us up. Because sometimes when things are too good, if you look at the history of the Bible, there were, there were seasons where God's people drifted away from God and the, and the normal that God had for them because things were just too good. People got too comfortable. And, and slowly they drifted away from God. And I think if we're not careful, even in the church and in this country, we can, have, we can experience the same thing where we slowly drift away from God and what was once normal as God said it was normal, becomes abnormal and dysfunctional. And so this whole message series is based on something that God started stirring in me during this season, that there is a new normal that God wants to take us back to, that we've drifted away from as the church, as the people of God. And I believe that God is waking up his church for such a time as this because he wants us to go back to some things because we've drifted away from some of the foundations of our faith. Amen? I relate it to even our own lives. Isn't it interesting? There is this um, cognitive, in psychology, there's this cognitive process that happens called heuristic bias. Heuristic bias. And what that is, is over time, when it's normal is just our habits. It's our everyday life. It's the things we do day in, day out of our everyday life, which become our quote-unquote norm. Well, heuristic bias is this cognitive process where over time, the things that we do repeatedly every day, they become so ingrained in our minds that we start to do them without even thinking. And things like coming to church that once used to touch us deeply and be amazing, things like picking up our Bible and opening it and God speaking powerfully and God moving powerfully in our lives, similar to when we first got saved and everything was new and it was fresh and there was a new normal that God was doing in our life. But over time, we start to slip back into our old habits and our old ways of living and we become, our lives can even become dysfunctional. We could pick up bad habits along the way where we start doing things, little, little habitual sins. We get into little addictions and pet sins that we hide from each other and, and, and from each other in the church even. And all of a sudden, our normal becomes dysfunctional and we don't even realize that our new normal has become dysfunctional because we have this ability to cope and to work around our dysfunction. And I believe that God wants to wake us up to the way that we've been living and wake us up to the dysfunction that we've been working around in our life and lead us into a new normal. I related to this not too long ago. I bought a, a used car. And uh, when I bought the, the used car, I was pretty excited about it. It was a really nice car, but it had a little bit of a problem that wasn't normal. And the problem was the center console the latch was broken on the center console. So when I went for a test drive in this car, I'm driving down the road and every time I go over a bump, the latch kind of pops up and, and you're like driving and it's like distracting and it kind of bumps you. And, uh, and I'm like, that's not normal, I need to fix that. But you know what happens, uh, I bought the car and in the beginning, what was annoying and I said, I've gotta get that fixed, I didn't fix it right away. And because I didn't fix it right away, I started to learn to how to work around it. Like I knew when I was gonna go over a bump, instinctively uh, muscle memory kicked in and I started putting my elbow down on the center console like this. And now I've had the car for almost a year and guess what? It's still not fixed. What wasn't normal became normal 
and now it's abnormal and I've learned to work around it in my life and I've learned to cope with it even though it's dysfunctional and it needs to be fixed. Somehow I've learned to cope with it. Many of you, you're laughing because you know I used to have cars where um, when I, it, was, it was using oil or leaking oil, and so in order to use the car, I had to put oil in it every week, and that became normal. That was kind of what you, what you did. And like I'd have a friend come over, I'd pop the hood and put the oil in, and they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I just have to do this, you know? I remember one time where uh, when I was a younger dude and, you know, I didn't have money to buy a new battery for my car and I was driving a five-speed, what became normal is the car wouldn't start and the battery kept dying, and yet I'd have my friends push the car with me and I'd pop the clutch. Remember popping the clutch? And that's how I would have to start my car, and that became normal to me. And my friends were like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this isn't normal. This is weird. And I even had, I was in the car business for a little while, and there was a buddy of mine who was a, a car salesman. He was one of the best car salesmen I ever saw. And one time, he actually sold the car that would only go in reverse. No joke. I'm like, dude, you are the Zig Ziglar of car sales. Like, how in the world did you sell a car that only goes in reverse? He's like, I don't know. I took it for a test drive. I put him in the car. We went for reverse around the block. And that was normal. I'm like, that's crazy. That's not normal. And I think sometimes, even in our spiritual lives, what should be normal becomes abnormal, and we learn to live with our dysfunction in our spiritual life and the lack of life that we're receiving from God and the personal relationship that we're developing with God and, and how the church really is supposed to be. We can drift away from it. And so I believe God wants to bring us back to a new normal, a normal 2.0. And so what we've been doing and what we started last week is this journey where we're gonna explore in the book of Acts chapter two where I believe God birthed the church. And there were some fundamental things that the church got birthed in that if we don't make sure that we are rooted and have a foundation of some of those things that God was doing in Acts chapter two in the church, that if we allow ourselves personally and as the church to drift away from, we are not going to be a normal spiritual church and normal spiritual life like God intended for you and for me. Yeah, more than five people can clap for that, really. It, I think that is awesome. But we're gonna go and take a look today. If you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to Acts chapter two. We're gonna start out, I'm gonna bounce around a little bit in this chapter. Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, kind of like last week in the storms. Praise God. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so you see here that God was doing something new. And now Pentecost simply means 50. It was 50 days from the time that Jesus rose from the, from the dead. He rose out of the grave and he um, walked in his glorified physical body on earth for a period of 40 days and he ascended in Acts chapter one back into heaven. Uh, it was an amazing moment. It was his, his uh, um, 
peace out, Napoleon. It was his peace out, Napoleon moment to the disciples. They were all sitting there, and he literally levitates and rises into the sky, and they're all sitting there with their mouths hanging out like. And an angel says, what are you guys looking at? Just like he's leaving, he's gonna come back someday. But they had to learn a new normal now. When Jesus left the building, so to speak, he wasn't physically with them anymore. They were, they were used to the relationship of him being with them day in, day out, for him doing the miracles, him providing the teaching, him having the power. And now Jesus was telling them and preparing them that he was leaving, and now they were gonna do the works that he did. And on that day, the church was born. And we're gonna take a look now, fast-forwarding into Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Now after this, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out. Peter had this new boldness about him. He was a changed man. And he goes out and starts preaching in the streets. And 3,000 people put their faith in Christ that day. And the, and, and the church was born, but there was certain things that they devoted themselves to that we need to make sure we're devoting ourselves to. If we're gonna see the same power and we're gonna experience the same life that they did in the church, we gotta get back to God's normal. And so we look at this, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's, there's four things here that I believe are the foundation for what God wants to restore back into the church. And so we're gonna go through all four of these foundations, and today I'm gonna talk about one of them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And look at the result. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and here, here is the ultimate result. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I believe that God wants to restore us back to a place where we have a new normal. Today I wanna talk to you about a new normal in our prayer life. A new normal in our prayer life. I can tell you that during this season, that God has been stirring in me personally, bringing me back to a place of prayer where I have a prayer life. I think if we're not careful, we could get into a prayer rut and God wants us to break the prayer rut where we can make prayer lists and listen, prayer lists are wonderful, they're good, they're needed, we need to have prayer lists but when the prayer list becomes this routine that we go through and becomes mundane and it, it moves to a prayer list instead of a prayer life, We've gotta get back to a prayer life. And I can tell you for myself that even as we rallied as a church praying for Mary Crona and, and praying as she struggled with the coronavirus, there was something special that God was birthing, I believe, and taking us back as a church to the foundation for which the church and which our spiritual lives are built on, and that is on prayer. Listen, we have to get back to a place where prayer is the foundation 
for our spiritual life. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you that even for me, I was getting into a prayer rut where my prayers became routine, they became a little bit dry, and I believe that God wants it. And I started wondering, is my, are my prayers even working? And God was saying, Lance, I'm doing something new. And that new, you're gonna see, is only gonna happen if you are willing to get on your knees and you're willing to pray and you're willing to contend and you're willing to press in and you're willing to believe in faith that the things that you're praying for, God is gonna do them. He wants to restore back a new normal in our prayer life. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is a powerful and effective, powerful and effective. How many of you could honestly say that your prayer life is powerful and effective? That word effective in the Greek means it works, <laughs> right? Like don't you want a prayer life that actually works and is powerful? Like when you pray, you see God move. When we pray, we see things happen that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for it. We took the time and we, and we prayed and we sought God individually and we prayed and we sought God together. But I believe that there is a lot of resistance to our prayer life that works. A prayer life that's powerful and effective because the enemy knows that if you tap into this new normal, oh look out. Look out, when the saints of God start praying and they start believing and they start fasting and they start pressing in to the things that God has and the church goes back to the new normal of a praying church, let me tell you, every time they gathered together and prayed, things happened. They, they had a new boldness about them. There was a courage about them. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. They had a fresh grace, new power. There was, a, there was life happening. People were getting healed. People were getting saved. It was powerful. It was effective. And it was working. And I don't know about you, but I want to see that kind of prayer life in my own life personally, and I wanna see it restored to the church to that becomes the new normal. That becomes the normal 2.0. But let me tell you something, that isn't gonna happen easy. There is a lot of resistance to your prayer life because the enemy knows, God help us, God help them, the gates of hell. They won't be able to prevail against the church, right, that Jesus built, and Jesus built the church on prayer. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says, that Paul is talking about this great door. There's a great door for effective work that was open to him, but there were many that opposed him. There were many adversaries, the Bible says. Can I tell you that if you, there is a great door open to you and to me that Jesus is inviting us into. It's the place of prayer. It's back to the place of prayer. But if we're gonna enter the prayer closet, if we're gonna step into a, a new prayer life, there's gonna be many, that, many things that are gonna oppose that prayer life. There's gonna be things that are gonna try to distract you. There's iPhones, there's apps, there's messages, there's you get up in the morning and there's, there's the mental list of things that you know you have to do and there's adversaries that are trying to oppose you from entering that place of prayer. There's enemies that are trying to oppose you so that 
you don't get to that place where you get on your knees before God and you pray and you intercede. Men, I know there's some of you that, that, that this is a struggle. It's a struggle to pray. But I believe that if you will take the time and you will enter into the prayer room, you'll see God move in your family. You'll see God move in your marriage. You'll see God move in your workplace. You'll see God move in your own personal spiritual life. I believe there is a new normal that God wants to bring and restore to his church if we're willing to fight through the distractions and fight through the pressing needs of the day and fight through all the thoughts and wondering if this is even worth my time and if this works, God wants you to fight through. Mark Batterson, I love this quote, he says this, the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. When I think about that, I think about how many things am I missing in my life right now because I haven't prayed about them? How many, how many more things could I see God be doing in my life and around the people around me and in the church that I lead and in my family and in my marriage? How many things am I missing out on in my daily routine and daily uh, things that I have to do as part of my day when I go to the grocery store, when I pump gas, to know that God is always present, he's always with me, he's always desiring to do something, he's wanting to do something, but I could be completely oblivious to it because I've got my mind set on things and I'm missing out on the things that God wants to do. I believe that God spoke something to me very profound that I want you to hear this morning and I believe it is for the church and that is we need to go back to the place of prayer. We need to go back to the place of prayer. Now, we see in Acts chapter two, God pouring out his spirit, and, and there's, a, there's a fresh anointing. Pete, the, the disciples' lives are changed. Peter went from this scared guy who didn't know what was happening in his life. Over, over the 40 days, Jesus shows up three times, pops in and pops out of their life, and they're not sure what's going on. They were quarantined up in his upper room and praying together, similar to what, what we experienced. They were afraid for their lives, they didn't know what was next. They weren't sure about what their future held. I'm sure there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of confusion on the disciples. And then, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were changed. Something broke off of them. Something shifted in their heart and in their spirit. They weren't afraid anymore. In fact, they would be characterized as those who would make the, see the world turn upside down because they had been with Jesus. There was something happening. But you have to go back to look at how they got there. And so we're gonna go back to rewind to Acts chapter one, and we're gonna look at Acts chapter one, verses 12 through 14. It said, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. This is after Jesus had his peace out Napoleon moment, and he ascended up into heaven. And it said, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they had arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Many translations call this the upper room. They went to the upper room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And listen, they all joined together constantly in prayer. This is what set up the day of Pentecost. 
They all joined together in prayer in one heart, one mind. They stayed in one place. They were determined, we are not going to move. In fact, Jesus told them, don't leave Jerusalem until wait for the gift that I have for you. And there was a persistence in their prayer. There was a determined spirit among all of them that we are going to pray. We are going to follow the scripture. We're going to do what Jesus told us to do. We're going to stay in this upper room. I believe the upper room represents the place of prayer. It represents the place where they made a shift. There was a spiritual shift that happened from the the level of life that they were experiencing and what they knew to be normal, but when they went up into that upper room, things changed. When they went into that upper room, there was a shift that happened not only in their heart, but there was a shift that happened in the atmosphere in, in that room that carried outside of the room. The title of my message this morning is Moving On Up. I believe that we need to move up a little bit higher. Come on, how many of you remember Wheezy? You remember that, you remember that show? Come on, Wheezy. Any, I'm dating myself here. I'm moving on up. Come on with me. To the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. I'm moving on up. Come on. You remember that? That's pretty good for a guy who can't sing. I remember that show, it was a good show. And, um, and they lived in this penthouse. And I believe that spiritually speaking, God wants to move us up, he wants to take us higher. So there's a couple of things that I believe that prayer does that we need when we're willing to go to the upper room, go back to the upper room, to the place of prayer. The first thing is this, prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. There's something that happens supernaturally when we remove ourselves from life. You know that Jesus had a habit, it said, he habitually removed himself and went up to the mountain, he went up to a hill to pray. He went up to a high place. Now, the high place, I don't know that it had any significance other than the fact that he removed himself from the everyday doings of life. Just like you and me, we've got things that we need to do, we need to go to work, we've got our our to-do list of things, the practical things of everyday life, but we could get so caught up in the practical everyday living of life and forget that we need to take time to break away, that we need to come up higher. And look at Isaiah 55, eight through nine, it says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, when we go to the place of prayer, what happens is my and your perspective changes. There's so many times where I see things from a limited perspective. My vantage point here on earth is limited. I can only see so far. But when we're willing to go back to the upper room, when we're willing to go back to that place of prayer, there's something that happens. There's this exchange that happens with God. He says, your thoughts aren't my thoughts. In other words, you're thinking too much like earth. You're thinking too much out of your own wisdom. You're thinking out of too much out of what you think this person meant when they said that and why they did this. And you're thinking about what you should do. In fact, uh, Paul said, hey, or James, I think it was, don't say you're gonna go here and do this and do that, but if the Lord wills. There's, there's a plan that we have for our life, but 
It's God who orders our steps, and we allow him to change the way we think and change the way we see things. When I get into that place of prayer, I allow the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to things I don't see. I allow God's thoughts to get into my spirit and become my thoughts. Some of you, 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 you've allowed thoughts and a way of thinking that's become a normal to you that God wants you, if you're willing, to get back to that place of prayer. And I know for some of you, you, you have an amazing prayer life. You spend time with God regularly. But I wanna tell you that I believe even sometimes good things can become okay things when they become routine, when they, when they become um, mundane. And sometimes we need to change the place where we pray and the time that we pray and how we pray. And let me tell you something, if you would be willing to take time in your personal life, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, that's the morning. I've, I've gotta start my day. I gotta get my head right. I gotta get my thoughts right. I gotta get my heart right. And that won't happen if I miss that time and that place of prayer. Prayer changes me. It connects me to the heart of God. Scripture says, David said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yes. Now, when you're willing to just get in God's presence and pray, God will even put his desires in you. Some of you are like, but Pastor Lance, I don't even have a desire to pray. I hear you, man. I've been there. I felt like that. Listen, prayer is a sacrifice. There's something that happens sacrificially when we are willing to pray and take the time to do that, there is a selfishness that gets worked out of us. We begin to pray for other people, and that selfishness gets, to, gets broken out of us. When we intercede for other people, that selfishness gets worked out of us. Prayer changes us. The second thing is prayer empowers us. Prayer empowers us. They had to wait on the Lord. My Bible says, that those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength and they shall mount up on wings as eagles. And they will soar above the things of the earth. You see, there, there's, there's only so much energy that we have in our own humanness, right? There's only so much that we can do and accomplish. I've heard it said like this, um, prayer is, is relying on God to do something beyond our own ability. Something that I could never do on my own strength, in my own way. Can I tell you that prayer is the conduit to power. Just like these lights, all the, the, this keyboard, it would not have the power to be able to be played right now if it wasn't plugged into the source of power. But you need a conduit to go from the keyboard into the electricity. When we get into that place of prayer, prayer becomes the conduit between us and God where power is released. There's a beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament. When Jacob in Genesis chapter 10, verses 10 to 13, I wanna to read to you the account because I think it's really significant that we understand every, every time that we pray, what we are praying is being taken to God and there's something from heaven that is being released. And even if we don't see it in our natural eyes, in our natural mind, we can take heart to believe that God is doing something. When I pray and when I get into that place of prayer, God is moving, he's doing something. Look at this story. 
It says, um, Genesis 10, that is not the right scripture. I believe it's Genesis chapter 28. Let's get there together. I'll read it to you guys. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 13. It says this, when Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it on his head to go to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching heaven. And the angels of God, check this out, were ascending and descending. It's a beautiful picture of prayer, that when we get into that place of prayer, that there are angels that are taking, as we're praying, there are things that are reaching heaven. And then there's things that are being released from heaven down to earth. And it says, and there above it stood the Lord. There's angels ascending and angels descending, and at the top of this open heaven, of this stairway, was Jesus. Those prayers were reaching heaven. It was reaching Jesus' ears. And then he's releasing something back down to earth. And look at Jacob's response back in verse 16. He says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, this was a dream he had, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. How many times have you prayed? How many times have you really prayed and you felt nothing's happening? I don't see anything happening in my life. I don't feel any different. You have to know just like Jacob, that there are times where we are going to be awoken to the reality that God is moving on our behalf. Things are happening. Even though I don't see it, God is making a way, amen? And he says in verse 17, and he was afraid, he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place, the place of prayer. There's none other, listen, than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God, the church. It was a beautiful picture of what the church is. It's a beautiful picture. In fact, we're gonna do something. We're gonna do an exercise. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand for a minute? This is what we're gonna do. I want you to experience the power of prayer right now. Sometimes we talk about things so much in the church and we need to activate it in our life. Right now, we're gonna take a minute. They're, in fact, they're gonna put a, a minute timer on the clock and we're gonna pray two things together. And here I want, to, I want to set this up for you. I want you to pray out loud. Pray with your mouth. Pray like you're singing. Pray out loud. We're gonna do this all together. And we're gonna experience the power of prayer. When, you, when the church begins to pray together, there's something, there's a shift that's gonna happen. I hope that we're a praying church, Hope Church. We're gonna to pray together. I'm gonna to lead you in the prayer. And for the first 30 seconds right now, we're gonna pray for our nation. Our nation is divided right now. There are things happening, and our nation needs us to be on our knees in prayer for it. The church needs to set the example for unity. And so we're gonna pray for that. And then we're gonna pray the last 30 seconds. We're gonna pray for the Big C Church, not just Hope Church, but we're gonna pray for all churches, all right? Are you ready to pray? I want you to pray out loud. I want you to pray with power, and I want you to believe that God is gonna move, amen? Jesus, we lift your name up this morning. God, we thank you that you are moving in this country. And even though we don't see it in the media, come on, pray, lift your voice right now. Begin to pray and intercede for your country, those at home. God, even though we don't see it in the media, God, we believe that you are moving powerfully in this country. God, that there are rumblings and there are shakings and you are doing something new. 
God, we pray for a mighty wave of your Holy Spirit to sweep over this nation and to restore this great nation back to the one true God. Father, we believe that you are a miracle-working God and you can restore this country back to its roots founded on the God that we put our trust in. Now we're going to pray, God, that you would touch this nation, a divided nation, and that you would bring it under one God, one nation, under God, with freedom and liberty for all people. Because all people matter to you, God. Come on, lift your voice. Don't stop. Pray. Press in right now, church. Come on, lift your voice. Jesus, we believe that you can divide a broken nation. Or you can unite a broken nation, God. So we pray just as you prayed in the garden. God, that you would make us one as the church. Even, God, as you are one in us. Father, we pray that you would ignite the church with power. God, that you would restore the church back to a place of prayer where we are united in one heart. We're in one accord. And even though we may be in different places of the church, God, that we stay in the place of prayer. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Isn't that powerful? Come on, that's power. God wants to empower the church. He wants to restore it back. You may be seated. We're about done. There's a couple of more things that I want to remind you of. Prayer moves us from self-sufficiency to the sufficiency of God. Prayer moves us from a place of being self-sufficient to being God-dependent. If there's ever a time that we need to be more God-dependent, it's now. I can tell you so many times we get into this normal where we have a routine in life where we just go on with life and we're experiencing anxiety. A lot of you, I even look out here and I know that you're walking through some really tough things. During this season and online, you've experienced heartache, you've experienced loss, you've experienced pain, you've experienced frustration, you've experienced financial hardship, you've experienced fear and anxiety and all these things. And if we're not careful, we could start to take on ourselves what God never intended for us to take on. See, when we become self-sufficient, it slowly happens to where it becomes our normal, where we just do things out of our own strength and our own power and what we think is the right thing to do and what looks good to us. Can I tell you that when we take time to pray, we're actually honoring God that you are the Lord of my life. Like, I don't have all the answers. The greatest form of pride is prayerlessness. The greatest form of pride is prayerlessness. We're in, when we don't pray, and we, when we don't take time to pray and seek God, we're actually telling God, ah, I don't need you, I got this, we're good. Why is it that we wait till we get into trouble in our life to pray, and prayer becomes our last resort instead of our first response? And we gotta break away from only praying when we need God to do something. And we need to establish that place of prayer where every day I get on my knees and I start my day and say, God, I can't make it through the day if it isn't for you. God, there's nothing that I could do apart from you. Even, even um, in Philippians, Paul, Paul said, don't be anxious about everything. And another, some other um, uh, versions say, don't worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the next verse says, and then the peace of God will come on you and cover, guard your heart and mind. We want the peace of God to come on us and to guard our heart and mind, but we don't take the time to pray. 
We don't take the time. We're, we're anxious. We're worried. We don't take the time to pray and wait on God. Jesus said, wait. There's something about the persistence that God loves. There's something about the waiting. You know the biblical word for wait? Actually, in the Hebrew, it's not waiting like we think about it is in our American mind. It's not, I'm just waiting for God to do something. No, it's this, I am praying, I am seeking God, I'm pursuing Him. I am praying and I'm pressing into the things of God. And true biblical waiting means I am hoping, I'm expecting, I'm looking for God to move. Every day when I, when, I, um, when I get up and I pray, even though I don't see it right now, I'm believing that God, while I'm waiting, God is moving, He's doing something that I don't see. It's kind of like, how many NASCAR fans do we have out there? NASCAR, Earnhardt, baby. Like NASCAR? I like NASCAR, I was a Jimmy Johnson fan for a while, watched NASCAR, pretty cool stuff. But one of the things that I think is interesting about NASCAR is when there's rain on the track or something and they have to slow down and they have to stop. And then when they wanna get them started again, they have to follow the pace car under a green and yellow flag. Yellow means caution, green means go. And they actually, there's a term for this. It's an interesting term that I wanna share with you. And it's, it's called, um, hey, it's called a running yellow, a running yellow. It means they're starting, they're pacing, they're following the pace car. The pace car is setting the pace, it's setting the lead. Listen, when we wait on the Lord and we're praying, we're saying, God, I'm dependent upon you. I want my timing in this, but I trust your timing in it, and I'm willing to wait for it. I'm willing to continue to press in in prayer. I'm following your lead, just like that pace car. And let me tell you, they're going around slowly, lapping, waiting, waiting, just like they walked around the walls of Jericho day after day, praying, believing, waiting, praying, believing, hoping, expecting, and, 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 and yet there's this wait for it. Holy Spirit's saying, keep praying, wait for it. Wait for it, wait for it, keep praying, don't stop. Wait for it, keep expecting, wait for it, keep hoping, keep hoping, wait for it, wait for it, and bam! Breakthrough happens. Your son isn't addicted anymore. Your marriage is restored and healed. Your body feels better than it did before. God is moving in your family again. Chains are coming off. Addictions are being broken off. You see things in a new way. You're able to forgive. You're released from that anxiety. You're released from fear. Bam, God is moving in your life. He's moving in your church because you're willing to pray and you're willing to wait and you're willing to laugh and say, God, I'm following you. I'm waiting on you. I'm pressing into you. God is moving and I'm believing and I'm hoping and I'm expecting and I'm looking for God every single day. The last thing, and I'm gonna close with this, is prayer develops our personal relationship with God. Prayer develops our personal relationship with God. It's the place where in prayer, I'm not just talking to God and telling him the things that I need him to do. I am, I'm having a conversation with my Lord and Savior, with the one who loves me and cares about me and wants to have a real relationship with me. Prayer is when I just get in the presence of God and I don't just talk, but I say, God, listen, I, I, I'm here, I'm listening. Your servant is ready, just tell me what you need to tell me, do what you wanna do. 
I can tell you there's been so many times, critical points in my life. There was one time where I was in business and we had a month left to go in the quarter and I was, I was behind our sales quota by millions of dollars. It was gonna be literally impossible. In fact, my boss was talking to me about, you know, we might have to do something here because this isn't gonna work. And I was so distressed over it. I remember getting on my knees in prayer and praying and seeking God. And I prayed, God, I don't know what to do. I need you to give me a word. I need you to speak to me. I need you to show me something. And God led me to the scripture where, uh, that I shared with you last week where Peter and the guys were fishing in the boat and they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. And he said this word to me, he said, I want you to go back and cast your net on the other side. That's all he said to me. He said that to me in prayer. I felt like God spoke that to me. Well, I got up that morning, got ready for work, went to work. I gathered my sales team together and I said, guys, I said, I know you're stressed, I'm stressed too. But I was praying about this and this morning I felt like God told me to cast the net on the other side. And here's what I believe God meant by that. We're supposed to go back to old accounts that we thought were dead, that weren't moving forward, that nobody was doing, and we're gonna call them all up today, and we're gonna, we're gonna revisit them and see if God can't do something. Can I tell you that within one month, we didn't just meet our quota, we went over our quota just because of the word of God that he spoke to me in that place of prayer. Let me tell you something, there are things that you've been asking for and you've been waiting for and wondering what I should do, but you haven't taken the time to go back to the place of prayer. You haven't gotten back into that upper room. And Jesus said, listen, it all starts with the relationship with me. The place of prayer is where we build our relationship. In Revelation, he says this. Behold, you know that stairway where Jesus was at the top? There's a door there. In fact, he told John, he said, John said, there was a door open to me and there was a voice from heaven that said, come up a little bit higher. I have things that I wanna show you. There's things that I wanna speak to you that you will only get. There's revelation that you will only get in that place of prayer. And Jesus is standing in that door and he's knocking on the door of your heart. And we're so busy with the other doors in our life. We're so busy in the other rooms that we're not taking time to go to the upper room. We're in the dining room. We're, 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 we're busy about what we're gonna eat and what we're gonna do in entertainment room, right? There's the man cave and there's Netflix and there's all these things, these, all these other rooms that wanna take our attention away. There's the office where we do our finances and business. There's so many rooms that we can spend our time in that can take away our attention. And God is saying, I'm calling you up higher. I am knocking on the door of your heart and saying, are you willing to go back to the upper room? Here I am. While you're doing all this stuff, while you're busy going to church, hey, there's the church room. We could be so busy doing all this that we forget to take time to go to the upper room. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, look what he says. He doesn't say, I'll come in and be your genie in a bottle. He doesn't come in and say, I'll make all your dreams and wishes come true. He says, I'll come and sit with you we'll share a meal together, just like friends. We'll build our relationship. There's some of you here today that you need that relationship to be restored. You've drifted away from that place of prayer. I believe God wants to bring that back. There's some of you here, and some of you even watching online, some of you in Eureka, where you've never really 
had a real relationship with God. Today is the day. There's a story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah where um, a son dies. In fact, he stops breathing. And it's interesting because the widow of the son, the mother of the son who's a widow, she gave the prophet Elijah a room to stay in. You know where that room was? It was the upper room. And Elijah is, is distressed because this woman's only son died. He lost his breath, he lost his life. And Elijah picks him up and he walks him up the stairs to the upper room and he lies him on the table and he does something kind of weird and kind of interesting all at the same time. He lays himself over the dead body and he breathes life into his lungs and he prays that God would restore his life and restore his breath. I believe that God told me there's some of you here today that you need the life of God to be restored in you. You need the very breath of God, the Holy Spirit, to breathe into your life and into your lungs and restore your life back. It starts with surrender. So I wanna ask you this. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and you wanna have a personal relationship with him, would you just pray this prayer with me? And what I mean just to be specific is, you don't know where you're going with your life. You don't know what your future holds. You know about Jesus, but you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. And you wanna be a Christian today and come into this relationship with Jesus? I wanna pray with you, pray this prayer. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to take on my sin, even though he lived a perfect life, and he nailed my sin to the cross. Father, forgive me for all my sin. Wash me clean. Fill me with new life today. I surrender to you, and I give you my life. Will you come into my life and make it new? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you made that decision, uh, Mary, Mary Terrell's gonna come up, my wife's gonna come up later, and she's gonna tell you what you can do. We're gonna have a prayer team there. But I wanna pray for the rest of you as we, as we end with this song. Would you stand to your feet? How many of you feel like that's you, that you need fresh breath in your lungs? You need new life in you today. I wanna pray for you. You could dim the lights. Right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, come, breathe on your people once again. God, I pray that your, your life would be restored to every single person. God, whether they're in Eureka, whether they're online, whether you're right here in this room right now, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come on, just put your hands out. Come on, God is good. He's good, he's faithful. He's not gonna forsake you. If you ask, he says, ask, seek, knock, and it shall be given to you. Some of you just need to cry out right now and begin to pray. Father, restore that life back into me. Restore the joy of my salvation. God, I need your Holy Spirit. I need the breath of heaven to fill me and to restore that life back into me right now in the name of Jesus. Father, God, I surrender everything to you, and I ask that you come and fill me. In Jesus' name.